0: This is the Tanner Talks About Stuff That Happened Emergency Broadcasting System, and this is an emergency update. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. This is a little bit different than things I normally do. We're not doing any sound effects. We're doing barely any editing on this episode because this is an emergency broadcasting session. The last time I did this was almost exactly a year ago today. Last time I did an episode like this, this was, uh, we were talking about the... January 6th storming the Capitol building by uh, an angry mob and uh, that was the last time I ever did something where I did it uh, very minimally scripted I didn't do hardly any any editing very little um, sound effects anything like that and I did an Instagram live stream so we've got our Instagram live stream on right now uh, I just have some followers that of just people who are my friends people who know me maybe personally i have invited to watch me record this episode um so they can ask questions live, um, or if they don't necessarily listen to the podcast, but they want to get an understanding of what's going on in the world and why we're talking about the situation now, they can tune in. So welcome to everybody who is Instagram Live joined in. Um, Again, I don't edit this. I'm not going to be filtering a whole lot. I'm just going to be doing it in one take, hopefully. Very little stopping. Maybe I'll throw an ad in there somewhere if I possibly can, but... Uh, yeah, that's how we're going to do this podcast. So, you know, as always, as I always say, if you enjoy the podcast, head over to Apple podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, drop me a five star review. Let me know you're interested. Uh, let me know you're enjoying the podcast. And if you want to monetarily support the podcast, there's a link to do that in the podcast description. So the reason that we're doing this is because there has been a little bit of upset over situation going on in Eastern Europe, particularly the border between Ukraine and Russia, People are a little bit nervous about that. There's been a lot of news about it, but people don't really know exactly why we need to be nervous about this. They don't really understand the conflict. They don't understand why this is a big deal. You know, this is in the, this is in a separate hemisphere. This is a completely different part of the world. So why should we as Americans care so much about what's going on over there? So we're going to discuss the repercussions of what this could mean because what's going on is that Vladimir Putin, the leader of Russia, has been sending troops to the border of ukraine and russia there's already a war going on in eastern ukraine there has been for the last seven eight almost eight years so why is it a big deal now why is it a hot spot now why now are russians thinking about sending troops over and again why should we care so we're going to talk about that when it comes to the situation in eastern ukraine at the moment we're looking at a series of events that goes all the way back to uh eight years to 2013 and if we want a well-rounded understanding of the situation we're looking at we need to go back to that point so let's go back it's 2013 the movie frozen has taken the world by storm thrift shop by macklemore is at the top of the charts and unrest is brewing inside ukraine protests against the government are gaining momentum And as these protests grow, so does the police presence monitoring their behavior. But why are people protesting? These protesters are making a statement showing that they do not support the foreign policy of the current administration. Specifically, the recent refusal of the Ukrainian government to enter into association with the European Union. Favoring instead to keep close economic ties with Russia. See, Russia isn't particularly friendly to the European Union. And if Ukraine wants to enter the Union, Russia would consider that unfriendly, because that doesn't trust the European Union anyway. To Russia, Ukraine and Belarus are buffer states against the European Union, which is essentially the rest of Europe. And without Ukraine, there would be a direct border between countries in the European Union and the Russian Federation. Russian didn't like that idea. Russia's not part of the European Union. So in 2013, Ukraine was undergoing a process to become directly economically associated with all countries in the European Union. While it would not directly be joining the European Union, it would be establishing economic ties to member nations, which would likely eventually lead to its entrance into the European Union. It all came down to a vote in the Ukrainian parliament, which was to take place in the last week of November 2013. On the day of the vote, the executive branch of the government, suddenly suspended the vote signing the desire for it to create trade routes between the eu while also maintaining strong trade with russia remember if they were to sign this vote it would probably cancel out a lot of trade with russia but open up a lot of trade with the european union so when discussing ukraine why why it seems a little bit weird that they'd be like wait we don't want to do this because we want to keep trade open with russia and the european union when in reality if they were even to close completely trade with russia but open up a lot of trade with the eu it probably would balance out a little bit so that's kind of weird that that happened right well the vote was reportedly intended to take place a week later but the next day it was revealed that vladimir putin the russian president had directly asked the ukrainian government to stall the agreement requesting that the vote include more friendly terms with russia intimidated by the mighty russian bear the ukrainians complied so this news comes out and it ignites the fury of the ukrainian people and there's this wave of pro-european union protests that sweep the nation protesters start openly condemning the ukrainian president Viktor yanukovych uh i'm probably saying that wrong but uh as a corrupt russian puppet and demands that the administration either completely resign or reform and quickly things get really messy We're still in 2013 here, but the government sticks to its guns, literally and figuratively, and they start cracking down on protesters after the protests had gone on for about a week, which, which were showing no signs of really slowing down. So on the night of November 30th, the first real clashes between Ukrainian police and protesters start unfolding. As Ukrainian police begin using water cannons, stun grenades, and rubber bullets against the protesters, but undaunted... Protesters hold firm and begin constructing barricades around the city center in Kiev, which is the capital of Ukraine Word of these police actions against unarmed protesters spread throughout the country and even beyond and activists began flocking to Kiev Some now bringing firearms into the mix. So in December of 2013 There were as many as 800,000 protesters in Kiev alone with thousands more dotting cities around the country And those in Kiev start fortifying their barricades in the city center, declaring it an autonomous zone, which simply meant the government had no jurisdiction there. Across the country, protesters begin toppling statues bearing resemblance to Vladimir Lenin, symbolically demonstrating their opposition to Russian influence, leading to similar demonstrations nationwide, which ultimately resulted in more than a dozen Lenin statues being torn down. The Ukrainian people were upset, and the government was under pressure to change. 800,000 plus people were in Kiev alone, with tens of thousands more around the country, toppling Lenin statues, symbolically saying, we don't really care about Russia. We don't want anything to do with Russia. We're Ukrainians, and we, wanted, we, we like these Western ideas. We like democracy. So, protests start growing, and they become more violent as Ukraine rings in the new year in 2014. But the government wouldn't budge come february the the frustration of the protesters erupts into a full-blown revolution in the country on february 18th protesters from across the country gather in kiev and fortify these barricades that they'd created in the city center preparing for clashes with the government forces and between february 18th and february 21st the skies over kiev are blackened with smoke and tear gas pro-european union and pro-government forces clash in the streets of ukraine's capital leading to these dramatic photos that you can still very easily find on the internet i spent most of this morning looking at them very intense photos and despite being up against paid mercenaries hired by the frantic government and police snipers dotting buildings nearby the protest epicenter the pro-european union protesters actually prevail and yanukovych disappears without formally resigning and what's crazy is that he wouldn't show up again until a whole week later no one had any idea where he was until a full week later and that was at a press conference held in southern russia where he answers a bunch of questions from only only russian reporters no ukrainian reporters At the press conference, he declares that these upcoming Ukrainian elections that the new Ukrainian government was putting together were unlawful, and he said that because they were unlawful, he would not be participating in them. And this would be as close to a resignation that he would ever really come. So, a new pro-European Union-Ukrainian administration was installed in the following months of this revolution. And the revolutionaries celebrate their victory, but more unrest started growing in eastern Ukraine. And this is where we start to see what we're looking at today. This is, I mean, eight, uh, what is it, six, eight years ago. This is eight years ago that this was happening. I remember seeing this on television. I remember watching this unfold, and my, you know, little 17-year-old self thought, you know, I, I get it. I know it's how... how big of a deal this is, but in reality, I had no idea how big of a deal it was, and now eight years later, we're still seeing this happening. This conflict has never fully ended. So, let's dive into what's going on here. On this podcast, we've discussed ethnic conflict in the past, particularly in discussing the Great African War in the 1990s and early 2000s, but here in Ukraine in 2014, we start seeing these tendrils of this ethnic conflict happening again, Ukraine is a country full of Slavic people, but there are subgroups of Slavic people. Ukraine and Russia are Eastern Slavic countries made up of almost entirely Eastern Slavic people, but there are subtle differences between people made up of Russian heritage and others made up of Ukrainian heritage. They have subtle language differences and facial features and after new ukrainian government takes authority of the nation many of these russian slavic people living in eastern ukraine become fiercely loyal to russia instead of to ukraine because they consider russia to be their ancestral homeland and they start calling for secession from ukraine to become part of russia primarily taking place in three territories crimea donetsk and Luhansk. Crimea is in the far south of Ukraine, and it's actually a peninsula in the Black Sea, which is it's honestly more of an island than a peninsula. But, famously, Russia battled many Western powers during the Crimean War on this peninsula, the Crimean Peninsula. This Crimean War in the 1850s. We talked about that in the uh, series that I'm doing right now. The most prominent pro-Russia protests take place here after the ascension of the uh, pro-european union government in ukraine and in 2014 pro-russian groups in crimea start militarizing and they start taking control of the territory one city at a time these pro-russian groups are later confirmed by vladimir putin to be led and infiltrated by actual russian soldiers the russians had boots on the ground here but russia would never fully admit this in march of 2014 Uh, A referendum takes place in Crimea to decide if Crimea would become an independent republic, and the referendum passes. The Republic of Crimea is born and quickly becomes a member of the Russian Federation, though still internationally recognized as being part of Ukraine. Seeing the success of Crimea in exiting Ukraine and entering the protection of Russia... There are also some militant groups that spring up in the eastern territories of Donetsk and Luhansk by the first week of March. Clashes are reported as pro-Russian groups attack government buildings and collide with pro-European Union groups. They start hanging Russian flags from government buildings in Ukraine as early as March 3rd. And remember, the Ukrainian revolution ended essentially on February 21st, correct? Correct. This is like two weeks after that uh, revolution takes place and Russians are already hanging Russian flags on government buildings in eastern Ukraine. It's getting messy. So, as the protests become more coordinated and violent, so does the response. By the end of March, pro-Russia groups are start, they start blocking trains from leaving Ukraine, and Russian militias from inside Russian borders start threatening to cross the border into Ukraine to come to the aid of these pro-Russian groups in Ukraine. In April, the Ukrainian police begin discovering huge stockpiles of explosives and automatic rifles stocked away in various cities across eastern Ukraine. Bombings in city centers become commonplace all across the country. Most major political figures survive at least one assassination attempt. In May, Ukraine reinstates conscription into their army. We're still in 2014 here, but the most violent series of events is the, in this ongoing crisis becomes known as the War in Donbass. Donbass is a geographical territory in eastern Ukraine directly on the border of Russia, and it was the epicenter of a large series of pro-Russian protests and unrest. As the crisis deepens and the Ukrainian people become more fearful of Russian involvement in their politics, many groups in Donbass began they began hoping to take the same course of action as those in crimea had but they knew that ukraine was not going to just let another territory be lost to the russians by democratic means no they were going to have to do this by force after the seizure of a number of government buildings in the area the separatists declared the donetsk do- <laughs> i have a hard time saying this word the donetsk people's republic an autonomous zone Ukraine responds by sending troops to reinstate the Ukrainian government control, but the situation was already spiraling out of control. With the initial success of the separatists, the call went out to all pro-Russian factions in Ukraine to come to Donbass and join the fight there, and their numbers quickly swelled to nearly 50,000 fighters. That was not a fighting force that could be put to bed overnight, as the Ukrainian government had hoped. They had really hoped That this would just be kind of a sporadic fighting force of a couple militiamen. But in reality, they're looking at half a hundred thousand fighters. That's a lot. So all cities in eastern Ukraine swiftly become battlegrounds between pro-government forces, along with the Ukrainian army, and pro-Russia forces, with assistance from Russian regular troops. Though, like I said, Russia would never actually admit to sending soldiers into the country during the crisis. Even though... There was an instance of a Ukrainian soldier tearing a Russian insignia from another soldier that they were fighting. So there's proof of that. Russia still hasn't admitted it. Casualties begin to mount into the thousands. Now, it today it is January what? January twenty fifth. It's January twenty fifth, twenty twenty two. It has been eight years since this war started. Well, seven and a half, I guess. But, you know, long time since this war started, and it's still going. It's the precursor to where we are at this point in this crisis. And since 2014, this conflict has stagnated, and very few, very, very few large-scale firefights have taken place since then, but there's never been a formal armistice. So jump forward to 2021. Fighting in Donbass intensifies in the region in the first few months of 2021, and both Ukraine and Russia responds. Ukraine shores up its defenses, moves a bunch of troops to the eastern border, and Russia begins moving large numbers of troops and armored units to their western border, along with sending troops into Crimea. White House correspondent Gensaki states, quote, It is the largest military buildup on the Russian border since 2014, end quote. So that buildup has continued into 2022 and even intensified. So that's why we're hearing it in the news literally every day and have been for the last couple weeks. So the Russian government states again and again that it doesn't have any intention of invading Ukraine, but the numbers say otherwise. It is absolutely a global hotspot. So why? Why is this going on? And why should we care? Let's look at it a few different ways. So first of all, remember how Russia saw Ukraine as something of a, like a buffer state between it and the European Union. So most Americans would agree with me when I say that we're in something akin to a new Cold War. Between us and Russia and China. And Russia is not on good terms with the European Union. It's not like we're going to go to war like tomorrow or anything. But in the grand scheme of things, global superpowers like to plan ahead just in case. Russia has a pretty tight grip on the country of Belarus, Ukraine's northern neighbor. And after the dissolution of the Soviet Union in 1991, Belarus has remained a strictly authoritarian state. Vladimir Putin has been in power for 22 years, but the Belarusian president, Lukashenko, presiding over Belarus' Uh, has been presiding over Belarus for over 25, for even longer than Putin has been president of Russia. And these two leaders have been utilizing each other to consolidate the power, their power over time. So Putin has Belarus under his thumb, but if he loses his influence in Ukraine, he loses a buffer state between him and Central Europe, where an actual shooting war to break out. This could also be a power play by Russia to demonstrate to the rest of the world that it's a tough guy. In addition to this, we need to bring this ethnic conflict into the mix. We discussed that a little bit previously, but we got to really actually look at that because there are a number of ethnic Russians who are living in Ukraine and Russia has openly stated that if it feels a resp- that that it feels a responsibility for protecting those Russians living under uh, other sovereign states. We in the United States have a hard time understanding ethnic conflict. We just don't get it. That's not a big thing in our nation. But it's a big deal in other places. If Ukraine sends too many soldiers to fight the uh, to fight the ethnic Russians who are already rebelling in Donbass, Russia could use it as justification for invading and annexing more Ukrainian territory. You following me? Got a little bit more. A third and more complicated reason for full-scale Russian invasion of Ukraine could be to test the global response russia has been slowly getting closer and closer to full-blown authoritarianism and putin could easily be gauging what a western response would be to his expansion now most people don't know that putin has actually invaded two other autonomous zones in his time in office with the intent of establishing either puppet states or annexing them entirely these were chechnya in 1999 and georgia in 2008 Now that, combined with the Russian boots on the ground showing up in Ukraine in 2014, which there is proof of, and uh, that shows that Putin is due for another invasion. 1999, 2008, 2014, and now 2022. Seems to me like we're due for another Putin invasion. Is that right? And with him recently having a referendum, which extended his presidential mandate until at least 2035, that's a fact, look it up, he may be setting the stage for a whole series of future invasions. He's got another 13 years. A lot can happen in 13 years. So why is everyone so on edge about this right now? Well, because this isn't the only place in the world that an authoritarian government is flexing its muscles. We've heard a lot about Taiwan. So in the South China Sea, China is ramping up its re- its threats toward the island of Taiwan. Now, China and Taiwan is a whole other story for another podcast, but just knowing that China wants it is enough for now. It's been that way for decades. So China has been flying its jets closer and closer to Taiwan, and Taiwan's eastern allies are anxiously waiting to hear to see how far China is going to push the envelope before someone is forced to respond. So, where are we at? Russia is shoring up troops on the border with Ukraine. China is flying jets toward Taiwan. Taiwan and Ukraine are both independent democratic nations who have economic and political connections to numerous Western powers. So what does all this mean? What I'm getting at here is that how the West responds to one will heavily influence how it responds to another. To clarify, if Vladimir Putin throws Russia's military at Ukraine, and the West does nothing, doesn't respond, it's very likely that China will feel real comfortable having a go at Taiwan. Vice versa. If China attacks Taiwan, West does nothing, Putin will be like, well shoot, I'll attack Ukraine. Obviously no one's going to do anything about it, right? So... Now, barely days ago, American President Joe Biden stated in a press conference that he would not be super interested in getting involved in Ukraine if it's only a, quote, minor incursion by Putin. Joe Biden pretty much said, it's not that big of a deal, but only if he goes maybe 100 miles or so. This essentially gives Putin the green light for an invasion into the country with assurance that Biden probably won't put boots on the ground. And after this statement went live, more Russian troops began heading toward the Ukrainian border. So, that's what's going on in Ukraine. I hope I was able to help everybody understand a little bit what's going on. So, I've got a couple questions here that I'm going to answer before I sign off. Um, I put the call out about 12 hours ago and I said, Hey, if you have any questions about this, I want to know... So I'm going to answer a few of these here. So first question I got was, what would I do if I was commander in chief? So if I was the president of the United States, how would I handle the situation? Well, something that I am critical of Joe Biden on is that um, he's really not taking any action against the Russian aggression. Russia Russia is an authoritarian state and it has shown pretty obviously that it's interested in establishing puppet governments now i'm not a fan of puppet governments regardless of the situation i believe that states should be sovereign they should be independent they should be able to make their own choices without a a bigger bully telling them what to do so one of the reasons that putin would be very comfortable invading ukraine is because the usa has no boots on the ground in ukraine there are I, i don't know of any u.s soldiers who are stationed in ukraine now, uh, Biden did just today announce that they were going to send 8,500 soldiers to countries surrounding Ukraine, but no con- no soldiers actually into Ukraine. If U.S. soldiers were in Ukraine, it would mean that if, these so- if Ukraine was invaded and U.S. soldiers were harmed, it would be a direct act of war against the United States, and then Putin would not only have the United States to deal with, but all of the United States allies which meant probably the European Union as well as the North Atlantic Treaty Organization to deal with which would which would spell a third world war and i honestly don't think russia th- russia would believe that invading ukraine would be worth that so um if i were the commander in chief i would be putting american troops in ukraine not because i want to go to war but because putting american troops in ukraine would be a significant deterrent for russia attacking and invading ukrainian territory uh number two do i think uh the u.s is right in sending troops to ukraine thoughts now like i said i don't know i haven't heard any news of i've been following this very closely and i haven't heard any news of uh, american troops being sent to ukraine so i don't know uh what that's referring to exactly but i do know like i said american troops are heading into eastern europe in other countries i think like the czech republic i think romania i think poland but there are no troops going to ukraine but like i said if there were troops going to ukraine i would actually support that because that would be a significant deterrent for russia invading ukraine because i do not support the russian invasion or annexation of ukraine because i do not support authoritarian governments three Would America go to war with Russia over this? Like I just said, the only reason America would go to war with Russia over this is if American troops were directly attacked. Um, Ukraine and the United States are not extremely close allies. If Ukraine was invaded, we would not consider it an act. (sighs) Excuse me. We would not consider that an act of war on our own. Uh, sovereign or, or on our own sovereignty, even though it would be tragic. I, and I would be upset about that because I do, uh, like I've said, probably five times now, um, I don't support authoritarianism and I don't support authoritarian expansion on, uh, into sovereign nations, but, um, the Ukraine is not an American ally. And so if Russia invaded Ukraine, it would not be an act of war upon American people. And therefore we would probably not go to war unless we already had troops stationed in Ukraine. Um, 3. Is Russia just up to usual shenanigans, or is this an unprecedented series of events in recent times? Um, Some people have, a lot of us have forgotten, well a lot of us were too young to remember, or it went largely unreported, but Russia has invaded several places who declared themselves autonomous recently, Uh, Chechnya in 1999, under Vladimir Putin, and Georgia in 2008, Uh, along with Russian troops being in Ukraine in 2014. Russia is no stranger to um, making incursions into foreign nations and challenging uh, the sovereignty of its neighbors. So, this is... It feels unprecedented because we haven't... the news of these events has gone largely under unreported or underreported like the Chechenian war and the war in Georgia. Now, I mean, I didn't, I honestly didn't know about the war in Georgia until the last couple of days because I've been researching it. Um, it feels unprecedented because of that, but it's not unprecedented. Russia does things like this pretty frequently, especially when it was the Soviet union, it was doing stuff like this all the time, particularly in Afghanistan. Um, and we have to remember that Vladimir Putin was a KGB agent in the Soviet Union. He's very familiar with challenging the sovereignty of other nations. That was part of his job. So um, it's important to keep an eye on this, and it's important to see that this is this could actually be a very big deal. But no, I would say this is not unprecedented. We've we've seen this coming for the last eight years, and unfortunately, very few people did anything about it. Uh, five. I think that's five, yeah. How do I predict China will respond? Uh, I honestly didn't really consider this a whole lot until I saw this question earlier, and that's why I inserted some of uh, the China stuff into the episode earlier. Um, as far as I know, China and Russia are not huge friends. I don't think they're enemies, but they're not friends. I think they're just two countries who share a border in a lot of places. But... Um, I think China's watching this series of events very closely, as well as Russia is watching um, what's going on in the South China Sea. And I honest to goodness believe that they both might be waiting to see what the other one does before they do anything about this. Because, like I said, if China invades Taiwan and the West doesn't do anything about it, if the United States sits by, if the European Union sits by, Australia... Um, If they all just kind of sit by and let it happen, that will be very telling to Russia what will happen if they invade Ukraine. Now, if China invades Taiwan and there is a very swift and intense response from Western powers and they say, hey, no, you can't do this. I think Putin would think a lot longer and harder about actually invading Ukraine because he would see, oh, these people aren't screwing around this is the real deal and we're very possibly going to go into world war three if we continue doing these expansionary moves. So that's what I think. Um, those are the five main questions that I've got. I got a couple others, but they really were covered by the five main ones that I've already, uh, typed out here. So, um, Anybody in the in the Instagram chat, anybody want to ask any questions in here? Uh anything you want to know, now's your chance to ask. I'm gonna stay on for maybe another 30 seconds. And just recap. Uh what's going on in Ukraine is the result of eight years of tension, um, particularly with the war in Donbass, with uh pro-Russian separatists fighting pro-Russian militia as well as Ukrainian soldiers, and there were Russian troops. several points found in ukraine and the russians have obviously been supplying these pro-russian forces so um that's what we're looking at here that's why there's been this buildup of russian troops now um because there's so many russian uh pro-russian militias in eastern ukraine russia is like hey well let's just annex this territory so we can get more territory we have more population um we'll have more resources. Ukraine is abundant in natural resources. And, uh, that is why Russia is looking into this. And also I think they're interested in flexing their expansionary muscles and (sighs) excuse me, been a long day, uh, flexing their expansionary muscles and showing the world, Hey, we mean business and we're still a world power, even though Russia is technically a second world country along with China. They're not first world countries, but they have formidable militaries and formidable, uh, hands on the political stage. So, um, that is that, that, uh, brings to a close the end of this emergency broadcast. Um, thank you all for tuning in and we will have conflict of nations. I believe part nine coming out in the next few weeks. I've been hard at work on it and, uh, it's been fun. So thank you all for joining. This is an uncut, unedited, unedited, completely raw version of this podcast that I don't normally do. I hope you enjoy it. It's a little bit more personal than we normally do. Uh, But here we go. So, all right. Catch y'all next time.